0: You're listening to Caregivers Out Loud, powered by Family Caregivers of British Columbia and hosted by Bill Israel.
1: Grief and loss can feel isolated. It is a human experience, and it often feels messy or is accompanied by not knowing if you're doing it right. As a caregiver, you can experience different examples of grief, such as grieving the loss of your old life and grieving the loss of the person for whom you are caregiving. Normal does not exist during a period of grief and loss. In today's episode, we chat with Tricia Wallace, a clinical counselor with Parkinson's Society BC, about the manifestations of caregiver grief and loss. Let's hear Trisha's suggestions on how to work with these emotions.
2: You know, there can be a whole host, a world of emotions that people experience you know, in the context of grief, when you talk about manifestations, that is so fitting. Because grief is like emotion that's put into a physical reality. It can manifest, you know, in the body, in the mind, in the heart. We hold it with us, don't we carry it with us. So it has a very physical presence. And it can include all different types of emotion, right? Grief, isn't just about sadness. It can be about relief and fear and shame and anger, hope, love, all of these emotions. Yeah.
1: And sometimes people get into this, uh, what I call a catchment area of wanting to know what's normal here. You know, if I come to you with these feelings I have, and, and they're affecting how I behave and how I feel. Going beyond normal, what kind of things do you see and the expectations that people come with you to say, am I doing this right or or should I be feeling something else?
2: We get a lot of messages from society, from people in our lives about what we're supposed to experience in grief. And that can really, we can really take that to heart and, and then judge ourselves. Where am I supposed to be? People come to me and say, "What? What am I supposed to be feeling right now?" You know, I'm I'm crying. Is that normal? I'm not crying. Uh, what does that mean? There must be something wrong.
1: Yeah, or maybe even saying, "Oh, I feel so relieved now."
2: Exactly. And
1: maybe yeah. feeling guilty about that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Or it's maybe been too long for me to have this experience, or maybe it's been too short. Maybe there's an attraction to someone else. And should I be feeling an attraction to another person so soon? They shouldn't guide our lives, right? That's important to not let those should statements and ideas guide our decisions about ourselves, about who we are and what our lives can be.
1: So that probably is rooted back in just the notion of there's a right way to do caregiving and then there's a wrong way. And I want to make sure I didn't go down the wrong path, right?
2: Absolutely. That's kind of like the all or nothing thinking that can come along with the judgment. And there's just so many paths to take, you know, in the grieving process. The best thing to do really is to pay attention to what's going on. It's going on in your body, it's going on in your mind, it's going on in your heart and that's okay. It's okay to feel, it's okay not to feel. You can be relieved, you can be angry and the heavy emotions of grief, the biggest thing to understand is that those heavy emotions sort of throw us off balance. But in that state of being off balance, it's not a right or wrong thing. a sign that we need reorientation. We need to find a way to get new directions.
1: Sure. I'm assuming that would include just a feeling of numbness sometimes. People come and say, I don't feel anything. What's wrong with me?
2: And numbness is one of those shoulds that we need to explore a little bit more deeply. We're going to expect A sense of numbness, that's normal, that's expected in grief. It can be like our bodies are overwhelmed. So it's like a breaker switch that can go off. Like, I'm done, I need a break right now. Sort of it's our alarm system can do that in our bodies. So if that happens though, if that numbness happens over a number of days, a number of weeks, that's one of the signs where we need to reach out, talk with someone about it, Talk to your medical team about it.
1: Yeah, good clue. And the other one that occurs to me is this terrible guilt in that moment when you are so stressed and so lost in the caregiving that you begin to think, when will this be over? Is this person going to die or just forever? And the guilt from that, even that thought and that feeling, a a certain shame, I guess, uh, that comes with that.
2: The difference between waiting for someone to die, and willing someone to die. Those are two very different things. It's something to consider in terms of what happens in our minds when the blame and the guilt starts to rise. We know that the role of caregiving is all-consuming. feel responsible for the person, their well-being, everything about them.
1: 24-7.
2: 24-7. And so those expectations we kind of take in as being like we're superhuman, not like we're human.
1: We've used the term remorse either during the process that I'm not doing this well enough or I'm not doing it right, or after the death of the care recipient that I couldn't keep them alive. I couldn't, I didn't do enough in my caregiving role. So talk a little bit about that experience of remorse that people probably bring to you.
2: Oh, yes, yes, very much so. And it's, it can often be quite a private experience that people are trying to find a place to talk about it. What I was talking about before, about that all or nothing, like life in review, we all of a sudden just have an all or nothing, we did something well or we did something bad. But when we actually start to tease it out and look at it, we realized that there were so many things going on. The failure comes from a sense of us believing that we have control over things that we actually don't have control over. And so part of the work is realizing that we're human, that we try and things work. Some things fail. They don't work. And there's no playbook for the life experience. So we tend to look back on our past experiences in counseling and really look at the context and explore how to build some self-compassion.
1: Yeah, because otherwise, all of your energy, spiritual, emotional, physical, is going into the care recipient, and suddenly we wake up one day and discover, wow, I'm not getting anything out of this. I'm just exhausting myself. So, talk a little bit about beginning to take care of yourself in this process, then, uh, Tricia.
2: Self compassion still fits with that idea of guilt as well, because it's linked with the anger that we can have or natural yearnings. One of those is. You know, like you've talked about, you're with the person, you're witness to your care partner's suffering, and you are suffering with them in a way that other people might not be able to see, can't can't really grasp the depth of that. And those multiple losses that you're you've talked about over time, they're also hard to grieve. You don't have time, there isn't the space to grieve them.
1: Or a place that's safe.
2: Or a place that's safe. Yeah, I, I, yes. there's
1: things I have to say that I carry in my heart, but I feel so shamed by them. I, I need some place to, where I can uh, take a little bit of care of myself, right?
2: Yes, yes. To give yourself permission to do that can be very, very difficult. It just doesn't seem right when you see all the need in front of you and all the things that need to get done.
1: Exactly, yeah.
2: yeah. So they, it makes sense that there's a wish the struggle to stop. The guilt comes when we get angry at ourselves for having instinctive drives like the ones for comfort and rest. Those are actually natural instinctive drives that we have to have to survive, but we can override them or judge ourselves about them like we're not human. Anger and guilt are so powerful. So healing around those involves First of all, not keeping, like you said, to share it, not keeping guilt a secret. We need to express it. Then the judgment around it that we've been telling ourselves over and over again loses its power. There's something about that sharing that allows for its power to dissipate. And then there's some more space to reconsider the validity of what we've been saying to ourselves and that self-blame. Is this really what was going on? When we look back and we think about the context.
1: Yeah. Then perhaps a little bit of relief arises, you know, that, oh, wait a minute. You know, I was punishing myself unnecessarily. So can you talk a little bit, Tricia, about entering this new space now, perhaps after the death of the care recipient, how does one begin to move on then? How, how does one accept a little bit of forgiveness, as it were, that I, I did the best I could?
2: Yes. People who come to me talk about that, what is this supposed to look like? Where am I supposed to be at when? And there really isn't one pathway is there? There isn't one way to do this.
1: Yeah, normal goes out the window.
2: It does. There's no normal. Yes, (laughs) yes. And so it makes it even more difficult to find our way. And when I listen to people, a lot of the time I can see this grief is like an ocean. It's just vast, it can be turbulent and stormy and dangerous. It can also be calm. We have to really look for ways to find our bearings. The grief process is part of engaging around how to do that. And mourning involves practices, different practices, right? And we used to have, and we do have some formal rituals and other mourning practices that we engage in. You know, around that purpose of coming together and there's places where it becomes more okay to talk about loss and grief. Once the formal mourning processes are gone, what do people do then? Yeah, I was thinking about that containment, which is a term that is used in psychology. Instead of containing the grief, I also think of it like concentrating the efforts or the attention that we pay to grief and the emotions of grief and the experiences of grief. Let's say we think of going through the closet of somebody and looking at their belongings. I've heard many times that's very overwhelming. It's so much so it's going to be avoided and then feel guilt about not doing it. And then it It's this cycle that kind of starts. So I think of that, that's sort of like being in the ocean, you know? So to make an island around that would be to plan a strategy like choose all the clothes that you bought on holiday or that you wore when you were on vacation. I mean, the things you remember about that person. And before you go do that, you call someone close to you and you say, hey, I'm going to be going into the closet. Today, and can I call you and let you know how it went? So you have some sort of connection. Wow,
1: nice. You've also used the phrase restorative activities. Is that an example of that? Of making a plan to actually a step at a time?
2: Absolutely, that one step at a time. You might only get a few clothes from that, but there's going to be emotions that come with that. And when the emotions arise, It's okay. They could be mixed. They could be happy, sad. There could be some resentment because this opportunity has been taken away from you, but it's all okay because that's starting to process grief in a way. And then you can finish up that job and try something different and move on and do something else that's more busy and less emotional in your life. And that is also a restorative process, is knowing that you can come to and from those feelings and still be able to get on with your day, still be able to to function.
1: And even in that illustration, you mentioned something that we have talked about before, of stepping into new relationships now or redefining old relationships after this passing of the care recipient. Are there some other little steps about finding somebody else to spend time with or to or to even just talk with uh, about their caregiving experience? A personal moving away from this experience into my the next part of my life, really.
2: The way that I imagine that is that grief can take up a lot. If there's a frame and a camera, grief is taking up a lot of space. And over time with restorative experiences that grief starts to become farther and farther in the background that loss now it's still there but we have a different perspective on it it doesn't take up so much space in our lives
1: there are so many layers to the grief process and it is a deeply personal and human experience it is valuable to anticipate the completion of one's caregiving role One beneficial resource is to join a Family Caregivers of BC Caregiver Support Group. You can find more information on our website at familycaregiversbc.ca under Get Help. You can also call our BC caregivers Support Line to speak one-on-one with one of the Family Caregivers of BC's knowledgeable and supportive staff. Call toll-free in BC at 1-877-520-3267. Many caregivers share similar thoughts or questions around the grieving process. That experience can feel very unique to each person. However, the emotion, thoughts, and questions are similar and can be resolved in a caring relationship.
2: The way that we can cherish our unique path in getting through the loss of somebody. We're all could be in a different place. We can still connect with one another because there's dollars to donuts. There's going to be someone else who's being in a similar experience, who's going being in a similar place and it can feel very isolating and very alone, but there's always someone out there who can
0: listen to what you have to say and you can feel safe. To me. Thank you for listening to caregivers out loud powered by family caregivers of British Columbia and hosted by Bill Israel produced and sound edited by Organized Sound Productions. We acknowledge the financial support of the Province of British Columbia and the BC Ministry of Health Patients as Partners Initiative. If you like what you're hearing, discover more episodes and find more caregiving resources at familycaregiversbc.ca. And if you find these episodes helpful, please share them with your family and friends who may find it enlightening to hear these stories. Finally, don't forget to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast listening app so you can take us with you wherever you go. Thank you for listening and taking the time to learn and care for yourself with other caregivers out loud.